before. We're going to look at one verse there that is uh, my title today. And then John chapter 6, Psalm 34, and then John chapter 6. Psalm 34, verse 8 says this. David says, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Isn't that a little bit of an odd verse? Taste and see that the Lord is good. I often wonder if David is referencing that back to the children of Israel that were given manna every day. That it was something that the Lord gave them and as they were tasting it, it was to remind them that the blessing of the Lord was sustaining them. But David uses that, taste and see that the Lord is good. Psalm 119, verse 103, David talks about that the word and the words of God are sweeter than honey. Now, we have a lot of sweet things these days. There's a lot of things that we um, will taste and we'll say, ooh, that was sweet. And honey is one of those that we'll put on that sweet. Think of that, the word of God being something that we can taste and one of the things that we can see. You know, um, actually, we're blessed. We're blessed in our church when we do our times of fellowship. We have John and Kathy Coulter that not only go out and purchase food, not only come bring it and cook it, but then serve and then clean up. Now, when we look at today's story, we're going to read about Jesus feeding the 5,000. And I'm sure if 5,000 showed up for them to feed today, they would need a miracle that would take place. So we bless you guys for doing that. And we know, you know what's in the mind of people that are fixing food for people? You know what's in their mind? I hope we have what? Enough. Because you never want to run out. That's the last thing you want to do when you invite somebody in. You never want them to run out of food. We were blessed when we youth pastored in Artesia that we met Frank and Jesse Manriquez. Frank and Jesse were in their later 70s. And I got to meet her, and she let us know anytime we were doing a youth event, she wanted to feed our youth. Well, they lived across the street from the church. Now, here's a lady that was in physical pain, and that even fixing food we knew would wipe her out for the week. But she wanted all of these youth to come over. Anytime we did an event, and it wasn't you know just running through Taco Bell, she handmade shredded beef tacos. She made tamales. She made, which I learned, fideo. I never knew what fideo was. And she made her own beans. And so anytime we did a youth activity, we went to Frank and Jesse's. Now, you know youth, they're not just going to eat one or two tacos. They're going to keep eating and eating and eating. And that's what they would do. And it had to have been a miracle that this lady would cook for all of these kids. When we'd go to camp, she made sure, now you make sure you stop at my house because I'm making potato and bacon breakfast burritos for all of those kids. And so we always, we never ran out. Well, I want to look at that story today in John chapter 6. In fact, before I go forward, let's read John chapter 6 together. The feeding of the 5,000, but Matthew will record that there was also women and children there besides the men. John chapter 6. And I'm going to start in verse 1, go through verse 14. It says this. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Then a great multitude followed him 
because they saw his signs which he had performed on those who were diseased. And Jesus went up to the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming towards him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? Jesus, seeing this multitude, turns to Philip and says, Where can we buy food that these may eat? But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have a little. And one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon's Peter's brother, said to him, there is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish. Listen to what he says. But what are they among so many? Then Jesus said, make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down in the number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves. And when he had given thanks... He distributed it them to the disciples and the disciples to those who were sitting down and likewise of the fish, notice what it says, as much as they wanted, as much as they wanted. So when they were filled, he said to the disciples, gather up the fragrance that remains so that nothing is lost. They gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragrance, or fragrance, fragments of the fragrance, fragrance would have been another miracle, wouldn't it? All right. Fragments of the five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, this is truly the prophet who has come into the world. Now, many of us have read this story before, but here's what's interesting about this story. In all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, this exact story is told. The only miracle that is told in all four Gospels that the same is the same other than this one is the resurrection of Jesus. That's told in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The only miracle that they all write about is this one. I find that interesting that the Holy Spirit wanted that written. Each of them have a little bit different uh, eyesight into what happened. Remember, as you're going to read this week in Peter, Peter's going to say, we were eyewitnesses of the Lord. They saw the miracles that Jesus did. They were eyewitnesses, yet the Holy Spirit allowed them to write these things down as they saw it. John is going to be the one that points Philip out. Jesus is going to ask Philip to go find, you know, figure out how much to buy food with. The other ones uh, mention different questions Jesus did. But of all of the miracles that could have all been written, why, why wouldn't have been the woman that came to Jesus and grabbed him by the hem of the garment was healed, and then he went his way and he raised from the dead a little girl? Why isn't that one in there? Why isn't Lazarus in all of them that he was raised from the dead? Why isn't certain miracles, why is the water to wine only in John? 
Why is the question today, is this story of the feeding of the 5,000 in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? What is the Holy Spirit wanting to show us? Why is it that he's wanting us to read it over and over and over again? That's what I want to look at today because I believe it's twofold. And let's look first at really what Jesus does. In fact, remember this. Jesus never does anything in the natural first to teach us something in the spiritual. Jesus always starts in the spirit to teach us something in the natural. Just because he's feeding people, it didn't start in the natural. It's something spiritual that's taking place. Now you can remember it's Daniel chapter 10. Daniel prays. And he doesn't get an answer for 21 days. And Michael the angel appears to him and said, the moment, Daniel, when you prayed, uh, I was dispatched to come and give you an answer, but I've been fighting in the heavenlies with, with the prince of Persia. Now that wasn't some guy. That was a principality. I was fighting 21 days, but I'm here now to give you an answer. So the moment that we pray, sometimes we need to remember that we're in spiritual battle like David or like Daniel was. But remember, we start spirit first and then natural. The world didn't start before God spoke it. God spoke and then the world appeared. So what is Jesus wanting to show us today? Because he's never going to do something natural first. Jesus, I believe, leads us to first see with our heart of compassion. You'll notice this in Matthew, Mark, and I believe Luke. Matthew and Mark, I know, say, he was moved with, everybody say it with me, compassion. He was moved with compassion. He saw the people, and he thought of them and looked at them as sheep without a shepherd. Nobody was leading them. As he was healing the people, they followed him. And then he would begin to teach them. But in this story that we read, the other Gospels give us a little insight into what actually had happened. Jesus just got a report that John the Baptist was beheaded. Who's not only John the Baptist that was sent to prepare the way for Jesus, it's his cousin. Jesus was going to take some time and get some rest and get the disciples and get away and get a little bit of a break. But then all of a sudden we see 5,000 men plus women and children show up. And Jesus, the Bible says, is moved with compassion. You know what the Greek says that word is? Moved in your bowels. Now it's not anything we would say today, right? I want you to know I was praying for you this week and I was moved in my bowels. <laughs> that would be an insult, wouldn't it? It means uh, at the core of who he was... He was moved, but then the Greek word goes on to say it moved him to action. There's many things that we have compassion about. But there are few things that move our compassion to act. You see a commercial about something and you feel, oh, I really, I really oh, it's just, I'm just moved. But you don't do anything. But then there's certain things that when you're moved, you act. That's Jesus. He's moved with compassion and he acts. Jesus, his compassion always responded with some type of action. All right, let's look at the disciples. We won't look at the one verse. 
um, Matthew chapter 14, you can write it down. The disciples, when they saw the people, you know what their heart said? Send them away, right? Send them away. It's getting close to evening time. They're hungry. This is the time to get rid of them. We're tired. You've been teaching. You got a bad report about John the Baptist. Just get rid of them. Jesus, tell everybody amen and you're dismissed. But that's not how Jesus, that's how they saw things. Let's get rid of the situation. The people at this time were not seeking the person of Jesus. The people were seeking a miracle. Jesus is going to want to switch that so that they're not seeking after sign that they see him for who he is. I pray today when we talk about Jesus leading us to seek compassion, that the compassion in us, like Jesus, moves our bowels to act. That we have that heart to act that we don't see certain situations or people as a problem to get rid of, but we come back to the Lord to say, how do you want me to respond? Jesus then does this. In fact, I love what he does. He starts to think about, I call it the head, they're thinking. And John does this. John records that Jesus turns to Philip. Now, you know what I love about um, the scriptures is Jesus uses their personalities. So what's great about us, all of us have great personalities, don't we? God has made every one of you unique. Some of you are very unique. <laughs> there, there is only one of you. The mold was broken. You're unique. But Jesus uses our personalities. He's got to change things in us so that we don't have that old person, but he uses our personalities. So I like what John, John always points out other people. He points out that he was faster in, than Peter to the tomb. He points out in his gospel that, hey, you know, I'm the guy Jesus loved. And now he points to the guy that was probably the first guy that was doubting a little bit, and that was Philip. Jesus is thinking when he sees 5,000 plus women and children is, what do we have? The disciples thinking is, let's try to figure this out. We need 200 denarii, which is $34. If we have $34, Jesus, I don't even know if it's going to be a little. One of the gospels, it's just going to be like a little. Just a little bit. Because we found a boy's lunch. Just a little. Jesus is thinking and thinking, what do we have? The disciples immediately calculate what they can do. Here's what Jesus teaches us, right? The test is always impossible. It's always impossible. And that's why God comes in. We sang about that today. It always looks impossible. It's never easy. The moment my son tells me, oh, I have a test Friday, Dad, but it's going to be easy, that puts me on alert, right? Because I've heard that before. And easy isn't easy. Because then I hear the stories of, you know, I had the study guide. I studied everything they told me. And I, it, they had stuff on there that they didn't tell me about. That's why it's called a test. Don't ever tell me it's going to be easy, Dad, right? That puts me on alert. The test before us is never easy. The test for Jesus to feed 5,000. So what if I told you at 2 o'clock today 100 people are coming to your house to eat? But I'm not going to dismiss you today till 150. 
<laughs> well, I got cans of beans. I've got some chips. You know, everybody can have a little bean. Come on. It's a huge test. Well, I love this one verse in John 6, 5 through 8, what Jesus does. Here's how Jesus sees things. Then Jesus lifted his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming towards him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread that they may eat? But he said this to test him. He said this to test him. Philip would have seen the miracles that had just happened. Philip had been along a little bit of time here to understand what he could have done. Philip now is going to lean to his own understanding and is going to try to figure out with his mind how to feed these people and what money that I need to do it. And if we have $34 or so, we can give everybody a little bit. But he says 200 denarii of bread is not sufficient for them that everyone may have a little one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, here's a lad here and he's got five barley loaves and two small fish. But listen to what he says. But what are these among so many? What are these among so many? Jesus is thinking, what do we have? They're immediately trying to calculate and say, we just don't have enough. We, we can't do this. And that's why they probably went back, send them away. We'll keep the little boys lunch, but send them away. You know, Isaiah 55, 8 through 9, and we'll see scriptures all throughout the Bible like this, where God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. So I always got to step back and say, I can't use this thing to think it through and to figure it out. I've got to go to him. God, what are your thoughts on this? What is the ways that you've been working in people's life all throughout the Bible that I can look at for encouragement and for the test? I love Gideon when I read about Gideon because he pulls this army together and then God says, you got too many people. Gideon's saying, no, 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 God, we're building an army. We're not building a little covert group. An army, God, an army, God, is hundreds of thousands of men. No, no, you got too many. Let's whittle it down to 300. So I always remember this about God. God's math is fuzzy. He starts with subtraction. Yeah, let's get rid of got too many people. Let's just have the 300. He's only got 120. In all of Jesus' ministry, and the am amount of people he just fed should have showed up to the upper room. There's only 120. He always subtracts down. It's always a test. It's always to put us in position to trust him. It's always to show us don't lean on the way you think. Don't think with this. Tune in your heart to me. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27 says this, but if God has chosen, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. He has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty. So Joshua, don't worry about your army right now. What I want you to do is I want you to meditate the word. And then when I tell you, then you can go across 
and attack Jericho. No, God, we're ready to attack Jericho. I've got these mighty men. These guys have been in the desert, God, 40 years. You've whittled out all their family. These guys are ready to fight. Now you've got too many. You've got to whittle down. You've got to get in my word. That doesn't make sense sometimes. But that's how God works. He wants to change Joshua's thinking and his heart to align to what he says. So let me ask you this question before we go on. If you knew that you wouldn't fail, what would you do today differently? If you knew you couldn't fail, if God told you to do something and you knew you couldn't fail, what would you do different? How many of you know we all would go back and say, oh, I wouldn't have done this, I wouldn't have done this, I wouldn't have done this. That's why we started service in Hebrews where he says, then boldly come to my throne of grace and receive grace and receive mercy and receive that help that you need to get back in alignment to trust me. Trust how I'm leading you. The other thing we see that Jesus does is what Jesus can do through his hands is powerful. He takes five barley loaves and two fish. You know, when I was in Sri Lanka, breakfast one morning was sardines and bread. Now, let me let you know this. Number one, I don't eat sardines, right? I eat fish. I don't eat fish for breakfast. I don't eat sardines in a gray soup for breakfast with bread. Well, they got fish here. This this dinner time is going to be fish and small barley loaves. In Jesus' hands, he sees plenty enough to feed the multitude and to have leftovers. But Andrew and the disciples say... What is this with so many? Jesus' hands are always miracle hands. But what he puts things in our hands, that's why I love the example uh, that he gives. In fact, Mark chapter 6, verse 39 mentions this. We'll put it on the screen. He commanded them to sit down in groups uh, on the green grass, so they sat down in ranks in hundreds and in fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and two fish, here's what I love. What does he do? He looks to heaven. He blessed and he broke the loaves and gave them to who? The disciples. I love how Jesus always models this for us. I stop. I look to heaven. I look to the Father. I take what I have. I bless it. I break it. And then I pass it off to the disciples. So I wonder really how much the disciples had in their hands or possibly because of the baskets at the end. I wonder how much was put in there. And I wonder as the disciples started passing it out in their hands, they probably were thinking, I don't want to look in the basket. I'm just going to keep passing it out. I don't even want to peek down. But think of 5,000 men. 5,000 men. Years ago, some of you remember Promise Keepers. Promise keepers would fill up stadiums. And I remember being at the L.A. Coliseum, and part of going to Promise Keepers on a Saturday was you got a box lunch. And everybody would leave, and then everybody would come in with a box lunch, and I believe there was 50,000 some men there eating. That's a huge group just to try to estimate, to try to feed, to make sure that if you paid for the ticket that you got your box of food. Here's Jesus starting with almost nothing. But he's going to use his disciples. He's going to use their hands to begin to pass out. And I love what the scripture says. As much as they wanted to eat. As much as they wanted to eat. 
And then it says, and they were full. They're filled. You know what it's like when you sit down to eat and you know when you should stop? You know, they tell us, if you make a, everybody make a fist. That's the size of your stomach. And so when you look at your food, that's how much you should eat. You can laugh. All <laughs> right, yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> so these guys, think about hungry. They've been listening to Jesus teach. They're out. They're probably eating whatever they can until they were full, until the Bible says that they were filled. And I love the example that Jesus does to the disciples that they have how many baskets left over? Twelve baskets left over. And I'm sure it's in the scripture that it can't be denied that it was one for every disciple to show them what Jesus could do. You know, but as we read down and we think of the heart of Jesus, the thinking of Jesus and the hands of Jesus, when we look at the heart of the disciples, the thinking of the disciples and the hands of the disciples, I don't think that this story is in there just to excite us about feeding all of these people. You know, if you read on, we won't look at it today, if you read on, the people the very next day show up to follow Jesus. And Jesus' exact words were this, really you're following me because I fed you yesterday and you want me to feed you today. And it's in that part where he starts teaching them that he is the bread of life. You know, we've been saying this scripture all year long in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, because they'll be filled. You could go out tonight... You could have the best meal that you've ever, ever eaten in the best restaurant anywhere, and I guarantee you in six to eight hours, you're going to be hungry again. Right? You're going to be hungry again. So here's what Jesus wants us to remember. He's the bread of life. We've got to keep ourselves hungry for him, thirsty for him, not looking at this miracle of just what he can do, it's an example to us because he's always teaching us. He's always showing us what he's going to do. He's always having us come back and say, oh, God, I'm going to trust you more. I know this was a test. I want to pass the test. But he's wanting to tell us individually that he is our bread of life. I love where he says, my father took care of the children of Israel for 40 years in the desert and fed them manna and gave them quail. Made sure they were taken care of. I'm the bread of life. I want you to come to me. In fact, let me mention two things before we close. It's important for us to always take what we have and look to heaven. Take what I have and look to heaven and bless what I have and expect Jesus to do more. Take what I have, look to heaven, ask Jesus to bless it, and he'll give me more. That's a great principle to learn through this story. I think Jesus is teaching us too. You know what his first test and temptation was? Turn these stones to bread. And you know what his first response was? Man shall not live by bread alone. But what shall we live by? By every word of God. 
He wants us to come to him, regardless if we're hungry, regardless if we're empty, to fill ourselves with him. When Jesus told the people that he was the bread of life, he wasn't saying that he would fill their empty stomachs. He was teaching them a greater and more powerful truth that whatever emotional, whatever spiritual, whatever physical need you might have, he is the only one that can satisfy. The only one. He's the only one that can satisfy. Jesus came to this world not to change our desires because we are to make him our main desire. He's the main thing. He's the reason that we're to be full. And as a pastor, you know what I can do? I can only encourage you. I can only encourage you. You have to stir yourself. You ever had chocolate milk? You pour the chocolate in, and what do you have to do to it? You stir it, otherwise you get all the chocolate at the bottom. I can only encourage, I can only point, I can only yell, I can only pound, I don't pound it in. I can only do what I can do. You've got to stir yourself. You've got to stir yourself because Jesus wants to take any area that's empty and fill it full with him that he becomes our desire and so that we are people that are blessed because we hunger and we thirst for him. But here's what he says, you'll be filled. So they all ate and were filled. Bow your heads if you would with me today. John 6, 27, Jesus said, Do not labor for the food with which, with which perishes, but for the food which endures for everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has set his seal on him. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. Jesus said to them in John 6, 35, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and who, he who believes in me shall never thirst. So Father, as we come today and we read through the scripture, and we can read this story in Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, and we can see the heart of Jesus. We can see the thinking of Jesus. We can see the hands of Jesus extended, and yet we stand back and we, we remember in our heart that let us be people that are moved by compassion to act. That we're your people, that we don't lean to our own understanding when you ask us to do something. That we realize in every situation, had it not been for the Lord that was on our side, that we need you in every single situation of our life. Even the most impossible situations, your Lord. And that through our hands, what might not seem like a lot that we do is powerful in the hands of the Master. It ministers to people. It leaves them full and satisfied and hungry for more of Him. But Lord, let us back up to stir ourselves afresh and anew today. Stir our hearts afresh and anew today. Stir ourselves up through your word. Remembering Jesus' words that when Satan attacked him at a weak moment, he didn't live by the bread. He lived by every word of God 
And in Hebrews, he was tempted just as we were, yet he didn't sin. So that's why, Father, when we close today, we come to your throne of grace to obtain mercy. You're building our faith. You're building our trust, but you're stirring up our hearts. And we bless you this day in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.